Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Night. Hallelujah. Let's open up our Bibles this evening and get into the Word of God. It is... We are now coming into a special season of the calendar, time of year, where we begin to turn our hearts and our attention back to where it ought to be all the time, and that is on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you may not know this, but today happens to be a very special day for many Christians, including uh, uh, Catholic uh, and Eastern Orthodox and many others uh, somehow didn't quite make it to the all of the Protestant churches. But today is something observed in much of the Christian world as Ash Wednesday. Uh, it is the first day of the Lent season. And uh, maybe you've even seen today uh, some people with black markings on their forehead, maybe in the shape of a cross. Uh, this is a traditional service that happens on Ash Wednesday. It's the first day of Lent, which means that it is uh, 40 days until the Passover, 40 days until we begin to think about the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And so to, uh, to bring our minds to begin to think about what this season is all about, uh, I want to preach this message tonight from uh, the book of Second Samuel, and we're going to turn there together. 2 Samuel chapter 11, and one verse from a familiar story that you will all know about. And we're going to turn our attention to a topic that every one of you has to deal with on a daily basis. That's probably right down everyone's alley tonight. And that is the problem of sin. The question I want you to ponder for just a moment is, can a Christian sin? You would think that that's a pretty obvious answer, uh, but it's one thing for us to say, yes, it is possible for a Christian to sin, but it's also something different for us to say, I am still capable of sin takes it out of the realm of theory and right down into our very lives. How many believe tonight it is still possible for you to sin? It sure is. Is it possible for a Christian to sin without suffering? The answer to that question is no. Sin leads to suffering. If we fail to repent of our sin, we will suffer because it will bring separation from God. 
if we do repent, it will be because God has caused us to suffer through conviction, which leads us to repentance, which is also not an easy thing, right? Sin always leads to suffering, but we have two very different options or roads that it can go down. In the scripture we're about to read, we're reading about one of the greatest uh, examples of a man after God's own heart. The Bible only uses that description about this man in all the Bible, that he was a man after God's own heart. And that is the man, King David. And though he had so many incredible victories for the kingdom, he is such a great example of a person who is in love with the Lord. He is a person who was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You read through the Psalms, man, and your spirit begins to be uplifted, right? Because of so many of his prayers and his desires and his, his just his connectedness to God, a man after God's own heart. And yet, here's also a man who willingly turned from God into sin. And we all tonight, we all can take heart. We all can begin to examine our, ourselves like the disciples did around the table on that Passover night. As Jesus told them, he said, one of you is going to betray me. Do you remember this occasion? One of you is going to betray me. And the Bible says they all became sullen or crestfallen. And what they began to do is what I want to cause you to do and myself to do and what the Lenten season is all about it is a self-examination Lord is it I am I capable am I needful of your grace and mercy tonight I'm so grateful tonight that the Bible does not hide the sins of King David because through it we find the powerful gospel at the cross let's read together one verse very quickly second samuel 11 verse 1 it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that david sent joab and his servants with him and all israel and they destroyed the people of ammon and besieged rabbah but here's the key david remained in jerusalem Nothing good comes after this statement in this particular chapter. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I pray, God, once again as we turn our hearts toward you, God, as we begin this journey toward the cross in this Lent and Easter season, God, that our hearts would be finely attuned, that we begin to question and examine our hearts tonight. God, that you would bring conviction and bring ultimately redemption and holiness and purification through this season. We thank you, Father, for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Let's look first at the tragic cause of David's sin. The truth is tonight that we all have to deal with this problem. We all have to deal with temptation. We all have to... Listen, you have not graduated past sin, have you? You have not achieved yet an impervious repellent against sin. You haven't. 
We all, no matter how much experience we have in the Lord, no, ha- no matter how many times we've been to church, no matter how many services you've sat in, no matter how many sermons like this you've heard, we all have the possibility and the capability to sin. So we have to then, with that thought in mind, we have to say, God, what would it take for me to go down this wrong path? What would it take and what are the circumstances that, that I can be wary of, that I can be mindful of, so that I don't repeat the same kinds of mistakes that I used to when I was a sinner, or that David did as a man of God, a man after God's own heart, but yet a man who found himself in sin. What is the tragic cause of David's sin? Let's examine this quickly here tonight. First of all, it's the sin of idleness. Everybody say idleness. You know, that's a fancy word that just means he was doing nothing. What you doing, Dave? Nothing. That was the beginning of his problem. See, David had reached a point in his life where he was basically at the top of his game, right? He had won so many battles. He had, uh, he had helped so many people. He had conquered so many enemies. He had uh, brought wealth and prosperity to the kingdom. He had brought glory and fame to the name of God. He had done so many great things for the Lord, and it's almost like at this point, He wants to sit back and enjoy the spoils of all the victories that he's had. Be careful. After great mountaintop experiences. Wasn't it after the the time when Jesus was baptized in water? And we have this epiphany event in the Bible. The only place in the Bible where you have all three persons of the Trinity active and in motion at the same time. You have the, the Father speaking from heaven. Behold, this is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. You have Jesus being baptized in water. And then you have the Holy Spirit descending upon Him. The Bible says, appearing like a dove. All three of the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, the Trinity, active in one moment. That's why they call it the Epiphany. This great, incredible mountaintop experience, right? And immediately, the next thing that it says is that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness for 40 days of temptation by the enemy. Be careful tonight if you have mountaintop experiences or great victories in life because probably, hopefully, not hopefully, there will be great temptation coming your way. See, there are two fields that every single one of us needs to be in as believers. Two fields. One is the battlefield, and two is the harvest field. If you have withdrawn from either one of those fields, you are setting yourself up for sin. If you have withdrawn your sword from the battlefield, or withdrawn your hand from sowing seed in the harvest field, Both of these are deadly and dangerous for believers. We are called to put our hands to the plow without looking back. Can you say amen? What we see here in this scripture is the sin of omission. 
Everybody say omission. Do you know what that means tonight? There are two basic categories of sin. Sins of commission, we say he committed a sin. He did something evil. This is when we actively are doing something that we know is wrong. We lie, we cheat, we do something, we speak wrongly to someone. Those are sins of commission. But there's also a separate category, the sins of omission. That means tonight you are supposed to do something for God, and you didn't. James 4.17 describes the sin of omission. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. In other words, it is possible for you to sit down and do nothing and thereby cause sinfulness in your heart. There is obviously, there is a time for us to have legitimate rest. But what we're talking about in this scripture is not just a vacation that David is taking. It is a sin of omission. And we know that because of how it played out. So his first mistake was the sin of idleness. Secondly, it was the sin of carelessness. So David didn't fall at his point of weakness, but rather at the point of his strength. David was not weak in this moment, right? It wasn't that that he had lost all of his strength. No, it was when his strength was at its peak, his integrity. But let me give you a hint tonight that an unguarded strength is a double weakness. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. In other words, David was so strong in his convictions and in his heart that he thought he was unable to sin. He was unguarded in this moment. Great men of God who have fallen repeat the the same mistake. It's a sin of carelessness. Think of Peter. Peter who says to the Lord in Luke 22, 33, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. This is not a statement of human weakness. This is not Peter uh, being being, uh, being, uh, uh, just weak in his sin. No, he was expressing his strength of convictions. But what it was is he had an unguarded heart. Proverbs 4.23 says to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. It's the lie that we can run on our strengths and forget about our weaknesses. See, every one of you have strengths and weaknesses. And what is it that we show to everybody around us? We show our strength to everybody. And what do we do with our weakness? We ignore, we hide it, we hope it doesn't come out into the light. But the Christian has to be very aware that if we only run in our strengths and forget our weakness, we have unguarded strength. Thirdly, it's the sin of impulsiveness. So David, how many know David did not plan to sin on this day? He wasn't planning. He wasn't thinking uh, for weeks about what he was about to do with Bathsheba. He was not, uh, he was not a premeditated, right? This was a sin of impulse. This is the same sin that you commit when there's giant chocolate bars in the checkout register. 
It's impulsive. It's a, ooh, my eyes saw it, and there it is, and that's what I want. Listen carefully. Sin is often a combination of three things. You better write this down because this is good. An undetected weakness, an unexpected opportunity, and an unprotected life. This is what resulted in David's sin. Undetected weakness, unexpected opportunity, and an unprotected life. David finds himself in a situation that he thought he would never be in. He finds himself in a point where he is, all of his men of strength and courage have gone out to the battlefield and he's left all by himself. It's opportunity. He thought that he was beyond all this uh, youthful lust, right? He thought that he had won all those battles and, and defeated all those demons and that they were all behind him. This is an undetected weakness. And he's got nobody around to tell him, David, what are you doing? He's unprotected. He's got no accountability. Finally, this is the sin of callousness. If you read through the story through 2 Samuel, you know, the, the sin with Bathsheba was only the entry point of sin. It led to worse and worse things. And by the way, you know, sin is always like that. It'll take you further than you want to go. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. And that's exactly what happens with David because, you know, Bathsheba's a married woman. She's not just a married woman, but she's married to one of his very best generals who is out at this very moment fighting for the kingdom, doing battle, and doing great things for God. And so now David has to deal with the fact, not only has he committed a sin of the moment, but the resulting consequence is that she's pregnant. And now he has to cover it up. Listen, you, you can't get better than this on daytime TV, man. She's pregnant, and now he's trying to cover it up by bringing his warrior back from the battle. He's wanting to get the guy drunk so that he'll go and sleep with his wife to cover up the fact that David has committed adultery. But here's a guy, Uriah, who's so righteous. He says, even when he's drunk and plastered with wine from the king's table, he, in his heart he's saying, how can I go and, and be with my wife and my children in my home while all of my soldiers are out there in the middle of the battlefield sleeping under the stars tonight? So you know what? I'm not going to do that. And the Bible says this guy Uriah is so righteous. Could you imagine if, if a soldier came home from war and he says to himself, no, I can't do this. I can't make myself comfortable because all of my, all of my, uh, uh, all of my soldiers are out there being uncomfortable, so I'm going to discomfort myself. And it says that he slept on the porch of his own house. Can you imagine the integrity of this man? And it was his death warrant. David's heart turns cold-blooded here. The depth of where sin can take you is truly frightening. Because here this man, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart, but in this moment, how many know, he is not after God's own heart. Because in this moment, he writes a letter 
to the other generals out on the battlefield and says, when Uriah returns to the battle, you're going to put him on the front lines. You're going to pull back all the other soldiers so that he is isolated and he is uh, in danger. And by doing so, David brings this man to his end. This is a sin. If the first sin was a sin of whoops, it has now graduated to a sin of being callous and stubborn against God. I'm glad nobody here gets that way. I'm glad that nobody here ignores the conviction of God to sin in the same way over and over, becoming callous and stubborn against conviction. I'm sure that hasn't happened to anybody here, right? I'm sure that nobody here has, to, you know, has heard from God to either start doing something that you're not doing or to quit doing something that you continue to do, but you say, nah, nah. That's the sin of stubbornness and callousness. That's why, listen, listen be very carefully. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Exhort one another daily. How often? Daily. See, this is why we need church, right? Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest, here's the warning, if we don't do this, if we don't exhort one another daily, this is what could happen. You could be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin can deceive us, and if it's not dealt with, we become hardened in our heart conviction of God no longer has an effect on us and we become something that we thought we'd never be so let's look then at the cost of David's sin if you're still in 2nd Samuel chapter 11 let me get there myself 2nd Samuel chapter 11 And in verse 27, it says this, when her mourning was over. So you know the story, what happens. Uh, Uriah is killed on the battlefield. And now David feels that he has the license to bring Bathsheba into the palace and marry her. This child that has uh, grown in her womb is now going to be born. And you know what happens, right? The Bible says that the child dies after it was born. And the Bible connects that death directly to the sins of David. Now, I don't want to go too far here tonight and, and make connections that aren't there, but could it be that others pay the price for our stubbornness? Could it be there's people in your life that are suffering and indeed the spirit of death comes over because of our disobedience and our stubbornness. Could it be tonight, you know, the Bible says that, that our sins can affect our offspring to the third and the fourth generation. That's pretty serious. Your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren can pay a price because of your stubbornness. What a cost. If you would really take that under consideration, you'd never want to sin again because of the long-lasting cost. Look at what the Bible says. When her mourning was over, 
David sent and brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Displeased the Lord. He knew it. I wonder if David remembered what he had wrote in Psalm 38. When he says, To bring remembrance, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. He's speaking there about the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that God brings to His children. You know, the Bible says that whom God loves, He also chastens. If you're being chastened by God, if you're feeling the conviction and the weight of the Holy Spirit, it's not because God doesn't like you, but truly because He loves you. God still loves David even while he's sinning against him and he's trying to bring David back even through the hardest situation that a father can imagine, the death of his son. What happens when a child of God sins? Well, there are words of rebuke. Words of rebuke. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, man, gets gets heavy, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit speaks to us. That's why we've got to stay in our Bible, even when you're not hitting on all cylinders. Even when your mind is all crazy. Open the Word of God. Get to God in prayer because He is able to rebuke us. How many know sometimes sometimes we're, we're, we're so off kilter, sometimes we're going the wrong direction, and maybe for so long... We've been doing something that has displeased the Lord. This is where we need the church around us. This is where we need good relationships with people of God that you trust. This is why you need a pastor. And this is why I need a pastor who can speak into our lives because sometimes we need to be rebuked. It doesn't bring pleasure to my life to rebuke people. But I tell you, sometimes we need it. Sometimes there, we do need some arrows of conviction. If we live in sin, listen carefully, if you are living in sin and you're not convicted about it, something's really wrong. Something's re- maybe the Holy Spirit's not living in you, which means that maybe you're not right with God. If you can sin and not feel bad, means something's off maybe you're not his child because whom the lord loves he also chastens i'm not going to preach all of you to hell tonight there'll be a good there'll be a good part at the end i promise but the intention is in this lent season is to turn our hearts man is there something in me that is displeasing my father The most miserable man in the whole world is not the unsaved man. Rather, it is the child of God who is no longer in fellowship with God. Pastor Campbell says there's no such thing as a successful backslider. The most miserable man in the world is the person who knows the glories of salvation but who does not know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 
David's sin wearied him. Listen to Psalm 38, verse 3. This describes what he's going through in this moment. He says, There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. Do you feel how David's feeling? There's a weight, it was a heaviness on him. Sin can be a very heavy weight. Can you say amen? It wounded him. It brought tears into his life. He's grieving the loss of his son that was born as a result. No doubt, there are people who know what that pain is. The pain of loss, the pain of grief. Listen to his words. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. Ever been there? I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go in mourning all the day long. I am feeble and severely broken, and I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. You know, I don't wish that on anybody, but sometimes you need it, especially when you're in times of disobedience. David's sin worried him. It wasted him away. It weakened him. And even goes so far in Psalm 38, verse 11, where he says that his loved ones deserted him. Look, look what it says. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. Maybe you've been around somebody like that. They're in disobedience against God, and it's like it's bleeding out. They're wearing it on their sleeve, and it's not something you want to be around. It's like, ugh. It's like a person has a wound on their body. You know, our, our Bible reading plan has us in Leviticus right now. Anybody still still there? Like, oh, Lord, festering wounds and skin diseases and ugh, nasty. I just can't wait to get past Leviticus, you know. But that's what sin can do spiritually. Even his friends and family, people that cared about him are like, ooh. Thank God. That he is faithful to speak to a man in rebellion. Because that's what we have in the very next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 12. We have a challenge. Timely challenge. This is what we do when we come into his presence. God has to challenge us. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan is a prophet. Nathan's a man of God. Nathan, I don't think that he has inside knowledge. I don't think anybody's told him what's happened. But God simply speaks to Nathan and says, bring this to David's attention. Sometimes the only way that, uh, that we can break out of our, of our rebellious hearts and our habits of omission and commission against God, sometimes we have to see it with new eyes. We have to see it in a different way. We have to see how it's truly affecting our, our, our own lives and those around us. So we know that the prophet Nathan comes to David with a parable, with a story. David, let me tell you a little story, something I heard about that happened down the road. You tell me what you think about it. And he tells this beautiful little parable of a, a, a rich man and a, and a poor guy. And the rich man is about to have some guests over to his house, right? And so he wants to prepare a meal for his guests. And so uh, out in the field, this rich man has 
has a thousand sheep, man. He's got so many sheep that you can't even count them anymore. So he could very easily take the best sheep, (coughs) the best sheep from his flock. And maybe I could get some water, please. The best sheep and uh, and slaughter him and, and make some good dinner for his guests. But instead of doing that, he says, listen, David, listen to what the, the rich man did. He says, right down, right next door to the rich man was a poor guy. And this poor guy, man, he doesn't have a lot of money, but he does have his one sheep. It's, it's not even, he doesn't keep this sheep because, you know, he's getting paid or this is actually more like his pet. This is his little pet sheep that follows him around wherever he goes. And David knows what that, what that kid is like, doesn't he? Because David's been that kid, the one who takes care of the sheep. And Nathan says to him, listen, this, this rich man, what he does is he goes and he takes that pet sheep from the poor guy. And he kills that sheep, slaughters it, and feeds it to his party. Now, what do you think David did when Nathan told him this story? He got all ticked off. Man, that is not right. What is wrong with this dude? Tell me who he is. Give me his address. I'm coming after him. Thank you. David says, that is not right. He got all hot and bothered about that rich guy. You tell me who he is. I'll take care of him. What does Nathan do? You're the man, David. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your sin with Bathsheba. Look, David, you were not hurting for action. You know what I'm saying? He had plenty of wives. He had plenty of game. And yet... Instead of taking one of your wives, you took the wife of your best man on the battlefield. And then you killed him. And all of a sudden, David's mind is reeling. All of a sudden. And by the way, this has now been months. Months have passed by. We don't know exactly how long, but it's at least nine months because the child has now died. And David hasn't repented. It hasn't come clean. So months down the road now, Nathan is saying, look, you're the man. And what's so beautiful about this is now David sees, I was so ticked off about the little lamb, but I'm the one. Let me tell you, this is the beginning of your healing. This is the beginning of your cleansing. This is the start of of God moving in your life. When you can take the difficult, so difficult point of view, the reason for my problems is not out there. It's right here. When you can begin to take responsibility, oh, it wasn't because Bathsheba was out that day taking a bath. It's not her fault. It's my fault. I didn't kill Uriah because he caught himself in a bad situation. It's his fault. I bet David had been telling himself that story for a long time. Well, if he would have just been, if he would have just, if, then I wouldn't have to kill him. Aren't we masters of justifying our actions? Masters. 
We can almost justify anything we want to. And we'll never be healed. Until, like David, it's me. It's conviction. There's chastisement. Listen to what 1 Corinthians says. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Can you hear that tonight? If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. There is confrontation. There's a challenge. And then, then comes the sweet part. 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. So David, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Listen to the response. Nathan said to David, too late, buddy. You're already you're already going to burn. That's not what Nathan said, is it? The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. That's God's mercy, isn't it? He deserved to die. He broke all ten of the Ten Commandments in one shot. Every single one of them. He deserved to die. Guess what? I deserve to die too. Because of my rebellion against God. We all, at the end of the day, we're all sinners, aren't we? But if we will say what David said, then we will receive what David received. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Some of the hardest words you'll ever say. I have sinned. Can you say it tonight? I have sinned against the Lord. Against the Lord. Mm. If we would realize the depth of our sin, then guess what? We would experience the depth of forgiveness. 1 John 5, 16. We're going to bring this to a close. If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin which leads to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. Interesting scripture. But the, the, the fact is that we need to take notice of brothers and sisters that are sinning. Thank God for Nathan. Thank God he wasn't a coward. Say, God, you just deal with him. Sometimes we want to do that. I don't want to get involved, God. David was a great sinner, but he became a great repenter. Now we know things were never the same. The son was not resurrected from the dead. We know that there was a consequence for David's sin, that he never had another Uriah, that the rest of his life would be marked by rebellion. That even his own family, his own sons, would try to rise up against him. And yes, there was a, there was a terrible consequence. But he was forgiven. We need to bring our sin to the cross. And this is why I'm preaching this tonight. Because it happens to be Ash Wednesday, as I mentioned. The beginning of the Lenten season, a period of 40 days before the Passover Sunday, which goes, well, the Passover Friday rather, which goes to Resurrection Sunday. It's a time where we can spend 
examining ourselves. It's not different from the Hebrew activity that they begin on Rosh Hashanah for 10 days, begin to introspect, begin to examine, which leading up to the great day of sacrifice, Yom Kippur. The word Lent is an old English word which simply means spring or season. But this word began originally with a time of 40 hours of fasting and prayer to commemorate the suffering of Christ and the 40 hours that he spent in the tomb. 40 hours. It was in the 3rd century that they lengthened the time to 6 days. And in about 800 A.D., the church decided that we should make this 40 days. What a great way to commemorate 40 days. Uh, There's some other famous 40 days in Scripture, right? Like 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. 40 days of, uh, of rain. The rains fell during the time of Noah. 40 days is a time. They say that pregnancy lasts about 40 weeks, doesn't it? Ladies, you can attest. It's a time of testing. It's a time of difficulty. And I want to begin in these next 40 days, I would like for you to do something. One, one of the things that many churches do, even, even the Catholic Church is involved with this, is they will, they will fast from certain foods. And the idea is with fasting is to produce in us hunger, a hunger for God. In many churches uh, that have decorations, they'll, they'll actually cover up the, the certain dec- Maybe you've been to a, a church like that. But they will actually uh, take bags and they'll cover up the crucifixes and the crosses and the, the different things that they use to decorate their church during this time of 40 days. And it's a time of introspection. Even though this practice of Lent is not specifically spelled out in Scripture, the principles behind it are truly biblical principles. Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ, to know the power of His resurrection and participate in His suffering, becoming like Him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's that's what this practice is all about. We are identifying with the death of Christ, so that then we can identify the resurrection. Joel 2, verse 12, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate. Did you ever wonder why they have fish and chips on Friday? Catholic Church. Friday is the day that they, they're, they're going to stop eating meat, so instead they're going to have fish. Bringing to a close tonight, what we desperately need is God's conviction. As we are drawing near, beginning today, 40 days until the Passover and the resurrection, it would be wise for us to once again test and examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. There is hope in the gospel, but only when we turn 
from our sins and confess. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the hope. No matter how big of a sinner you are, look, we've all fallen short from the glory of God. I, I don't think anybody here, if, if you have, you know, maybe we'll talk afterwards, but I don't think anybody here has done the things that David did just in that one chapter. I hope not anyway. If you have, look, there's a good example. God forgave David. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He turned from God. He dishonored his family. And still, he cried out to the Lord. God forgave him. It was not easy. It was not painless. Oh, but David found forgiveness. And you you and I can find forgiveness tonight. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a powerful promise. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we bring this service to a close tonight. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.